Hi, my name is Kyle Elliott, career coach of Caffeinated Kyle. And if you want to learn to define your best life and have the courage to live it, you should be listening to the More Than Corporate podcast with my friend, Amber Furman. Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. Today I have an interview with Kyle Elliott. Kyle is the founder and career coach behind CaffeinatedKyle.com. He is also a self-proclaimed Starbucks addict. His goal is simple, to help people find jobs they love or at least tolerate. As a result of working with Kyle, students through C-suite executives had landed jobs at Facebook, LinkedIn, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and nearly every other Fortune 100 or 500 company that you can think of. They've also found happiness. I'm so excited for you to hear this interview from Kyle. It was an amazing interview to record. Before we jump into that really quick, if you are someone that you know has ever said the words, I'll be happy when, you've ever had that moment where you say, I just need to keep insert whatever here, losing weight, working hard, building my career, and then I'll be happy. If you've ever felt like you've done everything you're supposed to do, and yet life isn't turning out the way you expected, something's missing, even though everybody around you is telling you how successful you are, then the Define Your Life Mastermind is for you. I've always told people that the most dangerous thing that can happen when you tie your idea of happiness to an external version of success is that you just might hit it. And when you do, you don't know where to go from there because I hate to be the person to break it to you, but all your problems aren't going to disappear when you hit that I'll be happy when moment. The most powerful question anybody asked me is what does success mean to you? And as I've explored this topic on my podcast and with my coaching clients, it's become clear that most people don't ask and answer this question enough for themselves. The Define Your Life Mastermind is designed to help you get clear on what success means. What does a well-rounded life look like to you? And what does your best life feel like? Once you know that, you can build a business that fits into the life that you want to have and surround yourself with people who give you the courage to step out of your comfort zone and live that vision. If this sounds like something that you or someone that you know needs in their life, let's talk and see if we're a good fit to work together. Head over to the Define Your Life Mastermind page at defineyourlife.morethancorporate.com. There you'll be able to find out more information about the mastermind and schedule a call with me so that we can see if it's a good fit for you. I can't wait to talk to you. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this interview with Kyle. Kyle, thank you so much for jumping on a call with me today. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am super excited. So let's go ahead and go way back to kind of start this conversation off and find out what it was like for maybe like high school age, Kyle, like what did you think your life was going to be like when you graduated from high school and kind of moved on? I never imagined I'd be living the life I do now. So in high school, I worked, I started working when I was 14 at our local diner. I was a bus boy. Um, I wanted a car. So in order to be able to afford one, when I turned 16, my parents said, okay, you need to go work. So I got a job. I walked into a diner and said, hey, are you hiring? And then the server turned around and said, hey, Al, this guy wants a job. And they hired me on the spot. 
Um, so before I even had my learner's permit, I had bought a car. And that kind of sparked the rest of my life, which has been working and now helping job seekers find jobs. But back then, my degree, or what I wanted to do was healthcare. So I went to college for nursing. I went and got a master's, which was supposed to be healthcare administration. I switched it to public administration. But I never imagined that I'd be doing career coaching and doing this full time. So high school Kyle <laughs> never saw himself writing resumes and coaching people out of his house. Did you grow up in a small town? Because this idea of like walking into a diner and just being given a job on the spot is like such a small town feel. Yes, it, it was a small town, like 30,000 people. It was a small. <laughs> thirty. So um, I laugh because um, a lot of the people that listen to this, or at least a few, I hope, are people that I grew up with. And there were 1,200 people in my hometown. So when you say like there were 30,000 people, like I know that's small, but to me, I'm like, wow, what would it have been like to grow up in a town with 30,000 people? (laughs) So did you move on to college or did you decide to enter the workforce right after high school? I went directly to college after um, high school. Um, I went to San Francisco State University and there I worked as well, um, several jobs. And then after college, I then went to grad school and was working more. So I worked like 100 hours a week and it was between school and work and internships. So I've really just never stopped working since 14. That's awesome. What did you um, get your graduate degree in? My graduate degree was a master's in public administration and the focus was nonprofit management. So I really wanted to go into doing social impact work, marketing, fundraising, maybe running a hospital um, and do work that mattered and had an impact. Was that, that seems like such a um, worthwhile thing that, that I know we don't always focus on when we're leaving high school, going into college. It seems like so many times the thought process is like, I need to make money to support myself and then the impact will come later. Did you always know that that was um, the path that you wanted to take or was there kind of a point in time in college where you shifted? I always knew I wanted to make an impact. Um, In eighth grade, I joined leadership class and then I did it through high school too. So I knew I wanted to make an impact. And then it's funny that you're a lawyer because I did mock trial in high school and I was like, maybe this is the way I can make a difference. And then I did it and I scored the lowest on my entire team and the <laughs> opposite team. And I realized that is not the way I'm going to make a difference. This is not me. I'm bad at memorizing. I, I just don't like this. This is not fun. So I'm like, law is definitely not it. So then I thought maybe nursing and I was pretty nursing. I like science when it is like bio 101. Anything above that is not my skill set. So I kept trying different ways to make a difference, um, but it took a while to figure out the exact way I wanted to make that difference. Yeah, I can totally relate to that because I feel like I changed my major so many times. And I mean, I had my story that caused me to take some time off, but not really take any time off. So it took me nine years to get my undergrad. And in that time frame, like I changed my major probably 10 10 times. Um, And it's funny that you mentioned biology because I really loved the psychology field and um, I wanted to do something related to like forensic um, profiling, like criminal mind style and or like CSI style, something along that route. And because of where I was at in my life, I had to take bio 101 four times in order to pass it. And I was like, clearly 
science is not in my future. That's not going to happen. So you graduate from your graduate program um, with this master's in public administration. Did you end up working for a nonprofit or how did this world of coaching and kind of what you're doing now come into play? So I worked for two nonprofits while I was getting my master's in public administration. And then once I graduated, I found a dream job or what I thought was a dream job working for a nonprofit in Silicon Valley. So the day after I graduated, I graduated a semester early because um, I'm just a workaholic. So I'm like, let me take all these classes. So I graduated a semester early, moved back to Silicon Valley. And then the first week on the job, I was... I learned I was catfished, that this job was not what I thought it was. There was just a lot of things that were not what I thought it was. I won't go into detail, but it was not the right job. So I ended up getting recruited to work at San Francisco State University, my undergrad. Worked there for a year full time. And then at the end of my contract, I renewed it um, in May. It was going to start again in July. And then in June, I said, you know what, actually, I'm going to unrenew this and go run my career coaching business full time. So even leading up to that point, I never knew I was going to be running this business full time. And now I am, which has been amazing. I always thought this side hustle was going to say a side hustle. And all of a sudden I made the leap because things were just growing so quickly. And I was loving the work I was doing with clients so much. That's awesome. How did you, how did your side hustle start? Like, I mean, it's such an interesting, so for a little bit of backstory from the bio that they heard in the beginning, you started on Fiverr doing just various jobs related to social media and um, resume writing. And that's so interesting to me that that would even be a thing. How did you find that? So I started at sophomore year of college, I believe or junior year, I charged $5 to review resumes or write someone's LinkedIn summary or edit personal statements. And it was just supposed to be in college to pay for Starbucks. I love coffee, pay for Subway pizzas because our Subway on campus had pizzas that were really good. Um, it was just supposed to help pay for college. And then when I went to graduate school and did my MPA, it helped pay there. I had raised my prices. And then after grad school, I raised my prices again, but I'd always just been the side hustle to just be extra income. It wasn't a career or something else passionate about. It was just extra income. And since I'd been working a long time, I knew how to write resumes. I knew how to get jobs. So I helped other people. And then about a year before I made the leap, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm really good at this. People are coming to me. There's demand for someone like me. Maybe this can be something real. And then I made the leap, which has just been, oh my gosh, amazing ever since. That's awesome. Um, your family, is your family entrepreneurial or are they in a nine to five employee mindset? My mom is a nine to five. She works in HR, um, interesting enough for a hospital. My dad for a while had a carpet cleaning business. So he had lost his job during the 08 recession and he started a carpet cleaning business. So we had a boat, um, not like a huge boat or anything, just like a family boat for the weekends at the lake and he sold his boat to start a carpet cleaning business and buy the machine and stuff. So there is some entrepreneurial um, blood in my family and he gives me really good advice too. He is not tech savvy at all. I remember when he got a computer at work um, a while ago, he was a printer um, for like big printing ballots and different things and he got a printer or a computer at work and he said, how do I get to the next line in Microsoft Word? <laughs> we're like, you keep typing or you hit enter. So I get amazing advice from him. 
that's so good and we have such different perspectives so it's amazing so when it comes to my pricing or my marketing he gives ideas that I would never think of that have oh my gosh just been amazing for my business that's so cool that you guys can have that relationship and I ask because I want to get into like what happened in between the time that you were employed and like the time that you took this leap because I feel like that is the do or die moment, right? That's where everybody starts to think, oh, this is the dumbest decision ever. Like, why would I ever leave a steady paycheck to go like do this thing that people don't understand? And coaching, whatever you want to call it, you know, there's so many different words for it. It's becoming more and more prevalent, but it's still kind of that thing that people don't really understand a ton of until you're involved. So what was that like for you when you were getting ready to make the leap? I'm sure that you had a ton of questions about like how this was going to work and, and what was going to happen. Like, can you talk about what that experience was like for you? Yeah, it was scary to make the leap one of the scariest things I've ever done. So I worked at San Francisco State University. I managed three of their residence halls. So I oversaw resident advisors, a team of 20 something of them. And with that, I got my salary. I got healthcare. I got a meal plan. I got a free apartment furnished in San Francisco. So leaving all that was not just leaving a salary, but all these other benefits worth a lot. So it was scary leaving that steady paycheck with a contract area where how am I going to be able to leave this and afford rent writing resumes and career coaching where I only work with people for a little bit and the better I get at my job the shorter amount of time I'm going to be working with people and having them then leave because I help them land a job so that was slow and steady so instead of saying I have to jump in and make the leap right away I'm gonna start it okay I'm gonna do five or ten hours a week of resume writing then 10 or 20 then 20 or 30 and slowly building it up instead of saying you have to jump in and do 100% all at once and then the other piece was having a savings and having money that I could fall back on in the cushion yeah and I mean you're doing this in a place where um, like San Francisco is not cheap to live in so um it's interesting to me because I, I did this in Vegas and Vegas has such a low cost of living to imagine, like I bitch about um, the cost of living here because I grew up in small town, Idaho, and you can buy a really nice house up there for like $70,000. But I, I complain about the cost of living here. And then I talked to my California friends and I have a friend in Palo Alto. And I was like, I will never after talking to you complain about the cost of living ever again. So I bring that up because you had um, a higher threshold that like one of the highest in the country that you had to be able to make, mm-hmm. to make this successful. Um, what was your family's mm-hmm. thought process? Were they, ex- were they excited for you? Were they, were they nervous? Like how did that conversation go? It's interesting that you asked this because especially after your last question, because now that I think about it, my mom was more cautious because she's in that nine to five. She's used to a steady paycheck. My dad was more open to it. And I think because he had been, down the entrepreneurial path with this carpet cleaning business and took the risk of, okay, let's sell our boat. Let's start this and see what happens. And he was more open to it. So it was interesting. There are different perspectives, but then at the day they were supportive. My mom just wanted to make sure I had that safety net in person. And then what she always brought up is, oh, you can always move back home with us. We'll be here for you. And that's something I talk to my clients about now before they make 
leaps or do something scary is what is that worst case scenario? And for me, I'm thankful I have those parents who are supportive. They live three, three and a half hours south of the Bay Area. So if let's say I just don't get any clients or things don't work out, I can go live with them. And I'm a career coach, so I can find a job. <laughs> so I'm really good at finding a job and can go find a job at Facebook or Google or LinkedIn or something if nothing works out for some reason. That's awesome. And that's actually a really good point to bring up of everybody's individual worst case scenario, because um, the worst case scenario for you is going to be different than the worst case scenario for me, regardless of um, even if everything's equal because of where you're, where you're living, where, um, what your lifestyle is. I mean, I think we have to take into consideration what's the lowest level of lifestyle that you're willing to live in order to make this happen. And all of that kind of has to be taken into consideration. And that's a really, really good point to make. Yeah, that, that was so helpful in doing that. And then also on the flip side, really, what's the best case scenario? That was really exciting for me to explore too. What does that look like if I get to plan my schedule? Because that was something I really wanted was more freedom. What if I get to pick and choose the clients I work with? What if I get to live wherever I want? I get to travel. I don't have to ask for PTO. I can take vacations when I want. So also dreaming about that was really exciting too, because oftentimes we get stuck on those negative emotions and forget to also think about the positives, which is really so exciting. Yeah. And one of my favorite things, and I'm interested to hear your take on this. One of my favorite things is when you talk to that client in the very beginning that you're working with and you ask them what their best case scenario is and they tell you, and they're thinking so freaking small. And then all of a sudden, like they would be okay with that best case scenario. And then you start working with them and they, their vision opens up to what's actually possible. And it's like a whole new world. Um, for me, that's one of the most rewarding parts of the coaching side of the business. Can you kind of talk about your experience with that a little bit? Yes. I love when people have a goal and they're like, okay, I want to break into tech. Let me get a job in tech. Cause I work with a lot of people in tech, Silicon Valley. And I say, okay, what's even bigger? What's your dream company? And they're like, Oh, I want to work at Facebook, but I'm not going to get it. And then once we dream about that and then taking a step further, once they land those interviews, once they get those job offers and say, Oh my gosh, I've never worked in tech. And now I'm at Facebook or LinkedIn or Google or you name it. And they achieve that success. It is so, so exciting to see them realize bigger goals than they ever imagined possible. And I tell my clients, you don't have to believe it. I'll hold on to that belief for you and guide you through there. I'm, I describe it as I'm, I'm like the pesky co-pilot that's going to be there and say, okay, let's go, let's go. There's Disneyland. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I see Disneyland. We just have to keep driving. I love that you said that because, um, one of the things that I always tell people is that when you're, no matter what you're trying to accomplish, you need to have somebody in your life that can believe in you enough for both of you when you can't believe in yourself. And the fact that you made that comment, like just really resonates with me because you have to have that person. Like when we're stuck in the thick of it and we're still trying to figure out our mindset and still trying to move on, sometimes it's so hard to see us actually accomplishing that goal. And it's like that annoying person. Like sometimes you accomplish it just to get that person to stop talking about it. Right. Like yeah, you, um, you want to get it done so fast and all, or so much. And all of a sudden there's this person that believes in you. Um, and it, it helps so much. So that's such a good way to put it. Um, that, you know, I'll hold on to your, to your goals. Like you just do the work. That's mm -hmm. so cool. So what are you working on right now as far as your um, clients are concerned and the look of your business right now? Um, kind of what are you doing now? 
Yeah, so most of my clients, about two thirds are Silicon Valley high tech people. That's a lot of my clients. So I'm helping them navigate the job market. So they come to me and say, Kyle, I want to find a job. Help me find a job. And with Silicon Valley high tech or Silicon Valley esque people, I call them. So people in Austin or New York or Seattle, these places are competitive. There's a lot of competition, 250, 1,000, 10,000 people applying for the same role. I help people stand out. I help them figure out what makes them unique and fabulous and own it and then share it throughout the process with their resume, their LinkedIn, their cover letter, their interview, networking, all of that. So that's what I get to do. I love it. And the reason I love it is less so the resume writing or the interviewing and more the end result, making a difference. I love once my client gets that job and at the individual level, I get to help change their life, that they get to achieve something they never imagined possible, that they get to pay for their mortgage, that they get to pay for their kid's college. And then on a higher level, most of my clients are senior managers and executives. So knowing, hey, I'm going into Target and my client had an impact on every single Target, or my client is a diversity executive at Facebook. So now every single employee at Facebook, they're touching in some way. And I had a part in that, even though it was a small part, I had a part in that journey and I'm touching all these people. So while I'm not working in healthcare, like I imagined, or nonprofits, I'm still being able to make an impact with my work on billions of people. That's really cool. And I think it's so important to focus on that for just a second, because one of the things that this, that we talk about so much in this podcast is defining your own idea of success. And with that, comes along defining the impact that you want to make in the world and and how you're going to be able to make that. And it's just proof that there are a million and one different ways to make an impact. And you get to find the one that feels congruent for you and feels good with what you're doing. Yes. And I, I never thought that this would be the way I was making an impact in high school or even in college. I never said, well, I'm going to grow up and run a resume writing business and a career coaching business and help people find jobs. It's not something you usually talk about other than that career counselor at your high school or that one career counselor in college. You don't really think about that as a job people have who are doing, especially those outside of universities and high schools. You don't, I didn't know at least that that was a profession and now I'm doing that. And it's amazing that this is how I get a, really live out my life's goal and my values and make a difference in the world. I just, I never imagined that this was possible. That's amazing. And what are you excited for coming up in the future with your business or things that you're working on? So I am in a doctoral program right now. So I'm doing a doctor of higher education, adult education, and my dissertation. I'm in the third semester now of the program. We work on our dissertation each semester. I'm just diving into it now. And it's looking at the relationship between storytelling and stigma, uh, mental health stigma. So how can we leverage storytelling to possibly reduce mental health stigma? So I'm just trying to dive into that. I live with mental health conditions. So it's been fun to look into that and leverage this research and see, okay, how does this impact other people? And then also being able to tie in my own lived experiences. So that's been fun. And then that relates back to my work because I'm helping people tell their own stories. And some clients reach out to me and say, oh my gosh, Kyle, you share your own mental health challenges on LinkedIn, other social media platforms. Can you help me share mine? Where does that play a role in the job search or my life? So that's been really powerful as well. That's so interesting. And I would, um, 
I would imagine that, again, just going down the impact road, that that's another way to just make a huge impact because the world is opening up to mental health and that that stigma is loosening, but Mm -hmm. it's still there. And I love seeing people that are willing to talk about it. I mean, this podcast was created because of my own mental health struggles. And the idea that you would research that in how we can leverage storytelling to lessen that stigma is so amazing. So um, when is your, like, how long are you going to be working on this um, doctoral research? Yeah, so I've done two semesters so far. So I have seven left. So it's three years total, and I've done the two semesters. So I have two years and a semester left. Um, so I'm excited. I just launched into my third semester and it's been fun. I love it. It's not a PhD. It's an EDD. So it's all application based, which I was really particular with the school I chose and the program I chose because I was like, no, I don't want to be doing theory. I don't want to be just doing, I don't know, high level research. I want to be doing applications. So I'm going to be, I'm digging in my dissertation now, but I want to be doing some narrative inquiry and actually reaching out to people and learning their stories and the influence that's had on their stigma. That's so cool. And if people want to follow you to find out more about this, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, Kyle Elliott. I spend a ton of time on LinkedIn. It's my favorite platform. Or my website is caffeinatedkyle.com. And I share a ton on my website as well. Perfect. Well, let's go ahead and shift focus just a little bit and talk about your history with success and your relationship with success. I I always start this conversation off with the same question. What does success mean to you now? How do you define that personally for you? So for me, I was thinking a lot about this as we prepared. For me, it's really living a life that's aligned with my values. And with that, I really want to ensure I'm able to make an impact in the world. And for me, that's changed over time. I used to want to be a nurse, then I want to do nonprofits, I want to do healthcare. And now it's saying, okay, did I leave this world in a better place than where I came? And was I able to make that impact? And again, what excites me with the work I do is really that ripple effect saying, okay, I touched these people. And then here's that ripple effect. I'm able to go and change both their individual life and then these mass lives because so many of my clients are working at these companies like Facebook, there's 2 billion plus users. Time we've got to touch these people who are then going to go make global changes. So that's what success looks like for me. That's amazing. And, you know, what I'm hearing from your story that is so impressive to me is that this idea of impact has always been a driving force for you. Has that always been your definition of success or has that shifted throughout your life? I would say that's always been a part of my life. I don't think I could have verbalized it like this back then, but even when I think about elementary school, what I liked was I wanted to be a sign language teacher or a veterinarian, and it was about teaching and helping people. And I actually do this now when people are stuck. A lot of people come to me for career discovery. So before we write their resumes or LinkedIn profiles, they say, Kyle, I'm 20 or 40 or 60. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I always like looking at what they did as a child before there was all those filters that said, oh, you have to make sure you make money or you're successful or um, here's all these things society says you should be. What did you do as a child? And then saying, okay, how can we make that happen as an adult? So as a child, I love teaching. I love being a veterinarian all these things. And then now as an adult, I'm getting a doctorate in education. I'm teaching clients how to find jobs. 
I'm not fixing animals, but I'm helping fix people's careers. So it's fun to connect the dots between our childhood where we didn't have all these filters and our adult life where we're able to make this happen. That's really cool. And I really like that you mentioned going back before we um, kind of, you mentioned it as filters, which I really like, um, kind of figuring out what that little kid wanted before we started to think about why we couldn't accomplish that. And I think that so much of that gets lost in um, having to be an adult and be responsible. And you think, I can't do that. Like, none of that can actually happen. And I, I love seeing the circle of life where we kind of like make it back to that point after we chase whatever we think success is. And then we realize that we had it all along. We just silenced it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And going back to those roots, the other thing I used to do as a child was dance a lot in my backyard and we had a broom um, and I would spin it and stuff. And I don't do that now in my career, but I danced a lot around my house and it brings me joy. So I always encourage people when they're feeling a lack of inspiration or innovation or just energize, go back to your childhood and see what you enjoy doing and see if you can bring some of that back into your life, that fun and that joy and that play. That's amazing. So I want to also talk about this idea of fulfillment because, you know, I started this podcast because my therapist asked me when I was telling her that I felt like such a failure, even though I owned my own law practice, she asked me, what's your idea of, what's your definition of success? And I remember thinking nobody's ever asked me that before. So I started this podcast. And then as I started talking to people, I realized that success and fulfillment are so interchanged when we talk about them, but they're such different principles. And so for you, how are they related? Does success come first followed by fulfillment or does fulfillment come first? I love this question. I've never been asked it either. <laughs> and my therapist is amazing, so I need to talk to her. Why haven't we talked about this yet? <laughs> I love this. And I think for me, I don't know which one comes first or second or third. I think they're intertwined, as you mentioned. And I would say the fulfillment to me feels more internal and in ensuring that I'm living a life that's aligned with my values and what's really important to me and then success is almost like the measurement is am I achieving that fulfillment yes okay now I'm successful and then it's a continual process so I think there's this idea that you finally hit success and then you're done instead of okay this is the process and a journey and then it goes thing that you do over time rather than okay here we're, we're done and then there can be success metrics and then you hit it but it's a journey and an evolution and it I love that you mentioned that it's a journey because I think this is something that so many people get stuck up on. Um, and I call them, I'll be happy when moments, like this idea that you just got to push through and you got to do that thing that you're supposed to be doing. And then life's going to fall into place and you're going to be happy and you can do all the other stuff. And the fact that you mentioned it as an, as a journey just highlights that that doesn't exist. There's no end game to this. Like it's a constant, um, constant evaluation of where you want your life to go, which I think is so important for people to understand. I remember my therapist asking me one of our first sessions, I've been working with her for a few years now, but I 
kept telling her I'll slow down eventually. Okay, once I finish my undergraduate degree, once I finish my graduate degree, okay, once I get an office, whatever it was. And she said, when is it going to be eventually? So it reminds me a bit of that. Like, oh, I'm going to achieve success eventually. And she said, when is eventually? And I think that's really tying into this, is that it can be now and living in that present moment. And you can have things you're working toward, but also being being able to find a way to live in the present and be happy with what's here now and finding fulfillment in that present moment can be really powerful too. That's such a good point. So let's talk for a minute because you deal with so many people that are not necessarily in the entrepreneurial world, which is so interesting to me Um, because so many times when we talk about coaches, we're talking about people that are trying to help individuals grow an entrepreneurial business. And you are kind of on the other side of that where you're helping people find that employment of their dreams where they can be fulfilled in a career rather than as an entrepreneur. So whether you're doing the entrepreneur side or this career side, getting rejected, getting told no, getting back up again is a part of it. Can you talk about how you work with your clients as they're applying for these jobs that they think are out of their reach? and they get rejected and kind of how you help build them back up from that? With my clients, two things come to mind. One is asking them the worst case scenario, the best case scenario, as we kind of talked about. And a lot of them realize the worst case scenario is the status quo. So then we have this base that's where they are now. And then the best case scenario is they land this amazing job. So then they realize the worst case is I stay where I am. So you can only go up which is really amazing for my clients. The other piece is for them to build up that rejection muscle and get used to getting rejected and just practice it. And it stings, but they realize they have someone here, me, who's going to help them and guide them through this process. And as they build up this rejection muscle, what's really amazing is they practice getting rejected, whether it's networking and reaching out to people in their dream roles to set up networking calls or applying for jobs. We think they're going to build up their rejection muscle. I tell them that. And then they don't get rejected. And then they build up their celebration muscle. Or they build up whatever muscle you want to call it, where they do actually get yeses, which is really exciting. So I would say those two things really help clients build up their confidence. One, just thinking the worst case scenario, the best case scenario. And two, really just practicing building up that muscle. I love that you refer to it as like a thing, like this physical muscle, because it makes so much sense. Like we're all so scared of say, of hearing no. And to think of it as a muscle makes it all better. Yeah. And it just takes time and practice just like a muscle. And then if you go too hard, it's going to be sore. Or it's like Brene Brown says, you're going to have a vulnerability hangover. So if you keep getting rejected, it's going to be sore. So it might take time. Or if it hurts really bad, you might have to ice it. So that might be similar to a rejection. If it hurts too bad, you might have to find a way to soothe yourself. But then it gets better over time. And then just like muscles or your body, you get a personal trainer or someone to help you perhaps. So the same goes for career coaching or growing your business. There's coaches and mentors who will guide you along the process and help you and show you best practices so you don't pull a muscle or get a sprain, (laughs) if we want to keep using that analogy, and will guide you through that process. That's so cool. Um, Like I said, that's the first time I've ever heard it said like that. So I really like it. Um, So as you're preparing your clients for this, and um, maybe there's somebody like who I used to be, which was that person that never got told no, right? I had always only applied for jobs that I knew that I was qualified for, right? 
And so the idea that I was going to apply for something and I was going to be told no had never crossed my mind. When you're talking to the pe- these people about this and you're telling them that this might happen, um, how do you work with them to build up the courage to actually move forward? I don't tell them that no may happen. <laughs> I just, I'm, sometimes we'll talk about the, <laughs> the worst case, but I'm just, I try to focus on the positive and say, what's possible? What, what could happen? Walk me through your life. Walk me through, okay, let's say you and I are meeting three months from now. We're on the street and you didn't text me right away and update me. Oh my God, Kyle, I got the job. But you and I run into each other on the street post-COVID in three months and you give me a hug and say, oh my God, Kyle, I landed this job. Walk me through how you're feeling. How did you get this job? What happened? And I try and focus on that and walk people through that. And then they start talking about it and realize, oh my gosh, this really could happen. This is possible. I can land this job. And everyone else who landed these jobs before are just like, are people who are just like them. They're humans. They went out and took a risk. I also, the second thing I like doing is having people close their eyes and brainstorm some of the most amazing things in their life. So for me, that was proposing to my fiance. That was launching my business and running it full time and leaving that great job at SF State. And think of all those worst or those best moments in the life and realize what they have in common. And it's a risk. So if you want more amazing things in your life, you have to take more risks. So if you want that amazing job, there's going to be a risk associated with it. Or you cannot have amazing things if you don't want to take risks. That's so powerful. And I love that you put it that way. So um, I'm a huge proponent of um, getting out of your comfort zone. Um, and this kind of falls exactly into what you just said with risks. I don't think that anything that, I mean, it's a cliche, the whole idea that nothing good comes from comfort zones, but it's true. I don't think that anything worth having comes from the place that you're comfortable. So for you, do you have a way that you, for you, do you have a way that you kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone, um, on a regular basis to make sure that you're constantly growing? Two things that come to mind, they're related. I guess they're one thing, two thing, maybe. I have a coach and a therapist, and I sometimes have two or three coaches. So my therapist, I bring her kind of what's going on in my mind. And I'm super type A, I have OCD, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I say, here's what's going on in my life, and here's my problems. And I bring it to her, and she's a straight shooter and says, okay, here's some ideas. Let's work through this. And she really holds me accountable and helps me walk through issues. And similar to my coach, I bring items to her um, that I want to work through, and she really holds me accountable. Um, she's a master certified coach through ICF. She's, but I think there's only like less than 1% of coaches through ICF or MCC. So she's amazing, like the best of the best. I've invested a lot in her, and she really holds me accountable. And I think that's key for people is to have someone who's going to call them out on their BS and say, let's talk about this, Kyle. You say you want to grow your business, but then you do this thing, or you say work-life balance is important, but then you work seven days a week. What is it, Kyle? And someone who will really call you out is so key and has been so helpful for my growth and hearing it from different people too. So I get multiple perspectives and have people who hold me accountable. I love that. And I think it is so important to have that person in your life that um, will hold you accountable. And I think the reason that coaching is so important, whether it's coach, mentor, or whatever, is because so many times we rely on the people that are close to us and they just can't be that person um, because everything that we do is amazing to them or they don't want to risk that friendship to tell us what we really need to hear. 
Yes, and something, especially with therapy, I appreciate is the lack of advice. I think that's why it's so difficult to talk to friends or family members. I know my mom's getting better at this. I'm just like her too. Is as soon as someone brings a problem, I give advice. And with coaching, one of the covenants is not to give advice. But and with my clients, I'm mindful of that. And with job search coaching, sometimes I take off my coaching hat and say, okay, I'm putting on my consulting hat. Let me tell you best practices. Here's how to write a cover letter. But I'm really good when I'm doing life coaching or business coaching with clients to be mindful not to give advice. But my partner will come home from work and say, here's the problem at work. And I say, okay, let me write down a post-it. Here's one, two, three, four, five, what to do. Here's a script, take it back to work, go. And then I have to remember, okay, this isn't helping. I'm just yeah. fixing problems. So that's, that's something I'm working on and has been key. Yeah. And I, I want to highlight what you just said, because I think it's so important when you said, I'm not helping, I'm just fixing the problem mm -hmm. because I don't think that people separate those two things. I think that so many times we focus on, okay, there's a problem. I fixed it. I helped. But in all reality, you didn't because now the same problem is going to come up in the future and they're not going to have any idea of how to get to the same place that you walked them to. Yes. And it leads to codependency. It leads to you then enabling someone. And then they have to come back to you to fix it every time instead of saying, okay, here's some tools or let's talk through this. And what are some options for you? So then that person doesn't have to rely on you. And that's what I love about coaching. And one of my favorite coaches who I work with, another coach besides this coach is Jill Katz. And what she always says is 99% of the problem or the answers to your problems lie within you. They're right here. And for people who can't see, my hand is on my heart. So most problems are inside of you. And coaches, their job is to pull it out of you. It's not for them to pull it out of themselves, but to pull the answer out of you. So that's why I love coaching. I love therapy is because they pull the answer out of me rather than just saying, here's what you should do. Because they don't know everything I've seen or everything I've experienced. So they're giving an idea without knowing the whole story or perspective. Yeah, that's super, super, super powerful and so important for people to remember. Like you don't want to give people your solution to a problem. You want to help them find theirs. Exactly. And if you're a consultant, that's different. Or if you're acting in an attorney position, that makes sense. I go to my lawyer who I have on retainer and say, okay, what's your advice? Or I just had a call with my accountant earlier. I'm like, okay, what do I do here? I'm coming to you for, as a consultant. But coaches, that's different. You really want to pull it out of people and help them cut through their limiting beliefs and empower them. Yeah, I, I, I can stand behind that 100%. Um, I think that this information has been so super valuable and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk about your journey and how you work with your clients to help them find these amazing jobs. Um, before we wrap up, I would love to do a quick random round and let everybody get to know you a little bit. Are you okay with that? Oh yeah, yeah. Perfect. What profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? I think about this a lot. I would say being a therapist. Okay. And if you could time travel, where would you go and why? This ties into the last question. I would go back to grad school and I would change my major to therapy. So okay. then I could be that therapist. <laughs> All right. What personality trait or skill or quality do you think has been most helpful to you in your life? I would say my perfectionism. I am a recovering perfectionist, but it helps a lot when I'm resume writing or coaching people and really pulling stuff out of them. That's really interesting. I would have never thought of perfectionism as a positive thing, but I could see how it would be very helpful in what you do 
with other people, just not with yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you're reading books, do you prefer to read a physical book or listen to an audio book? I told myself after grad school, I'd never read another book and now I'm in a doctoral program. Um, so I read for that, but I mostly do audible books and listen okay. to them while walking. Very cool. What book has, have you recommended to people the most? Present Over Perfect. So it's about overcoming perfectionism. It is Interesting. Amazing. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. Um, I'm not so sure that my perfectionism is recovering yet. I think I'm still kind of stuck <laughs> in it. So that's interesting. Um, and then lastly, because I'm a huge music nerd, I have to ask this question. What song motivates you right now? What's your pump up song? I Love Money by Cardi B. Okay, very cool. And um, one more time before we wrap up, where's the best place for people to track you down if they want to connect about anything that we talked about in this interview, follow up with you, or just um, connect for um, the purpose of connecting? Yes, yeah, so I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, Kyle Elliott, and then my website, caffeinatedkyle.com. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on with me. I really appreciate your time today. Yes, thank you for having me. This was a blast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.